A long time ago, in February 2020 BC, before coronavirus. Gosh dang it, Cooper. I just can't do it. I can't wait anymore. 2020 has just started. Parasites won Best Picture, but we still have to wait five whole months in order to watch the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet. The suspense is more intense than a Hans Zimmer score during a climactic battle at the three-hour mark. Oh, you're telling me, Cobb. I haven't felt this much tension since I accidentally bought counterfeit midnight Dark Knight tickets from someone online named JokerFan420. Oh, what a trickster. Come on, Cooper. Use that science brain of yours to get us out of this jam. I'm not waiting what'll feel like a lifetime before I get to see my kids again. I mean, watch Tenet. Hey, wait a minute. What if there was a way... To go forward in time, bend reality in our favor. Cooper, you're scaring me again. Oh, come on now. What do you think this is? The plot synopsis for a time-bending prestige film that appeals to people who usually like blockbusters? No, it's simple. What if we avoided the dreaded weight, confusion, anxiety, anticipation, and ceaseless online debates from teenage boys and lonely internet guys in their mid-30s and froze ourselves in time, thus waking up on July 17th as if it were tomorrow? Sure, we'd have to sacrifice a few months of our youth, avoid contact from people we love and avoid responsibilities, and subsequently might lose our jobs and homes in the process, but we'll be rich in the splendor of no one's latest super epic masterpiece. I don't know, Cooper. That all sounds pretty complex. Yeah, mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger. I haven't slept that good since I discovered the hidden meaning behind the Dark Knight Rises final 30 seconds. Uh, Cooper? You're not gonna believe this. Look at this newspaper. Huh? Corona? Like the beer? These Fast and Furious promotions are getting out of hand. No, you idiot. It's that virus they were talking about in China. It's here. It's in the States. In the UK. And, well, mainly the States. Hold on. Keep your teleporting top hat on your head and calm down. Let's take a look at the movie listings to see when Tenet is playing. Ah, son of a motherfucking goddamn b- What is it, Cooper? We gotta watch a matinee? No, ya goon. There are no movie listings. There are no movies. No movies? No talking pictures? No spinning wheels? That's crazy talk, Cooper. What is it, the 1890s? Might as well be. They shut down all the movie theaters. There ain't a Tenet release date in sight. Great. Now what? No movie theaters, no tenant, no nothing. Well, hey, maybe there's still that Wes Anderson movie coming out next. Oh, oh, great, not that neither. Hold on, Cobb, I got another idea. Haven't you learned your lesson by now? You're like Winston Churchill, constantly scheming up a storm. What if we go back to sleep and dream about Tenet? Then we dream even further so that we watch Tenet again. But Cooper, that doesn't make sense. And it raises more questions, not answers. Ah, exactly. What better way to know for sure you're watching a Christopher Nolan movie? Now come on, let's binge watch all of his films to get our heads in the right space. Okay, Cooper, but can we at least throw in a Patty Jenkins movie or two so we don't start thinking of women as one-dimensional characters? You got it, pal. Monza it is. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, staff writer for the young folks, and head writer of Cinemaholics.com. But hey, I'm pretty boring compared to the pop culture writer of Cinema Blend. And he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. How you doing, Walashin? I'm all right. You kind of put me up in high esteem, but I appreciate the flattery. Well, you know, Will, it's been uh, an exciting week. And I'm a little sad because, uh, you know... It's, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while before we, we do this thing again, because you're going to be going out of town. You're going to be getting off the grid. A little bit, yeah. I mean, only for a week, but yeah, I'm going to be uh, off uh, doing my own thing away from the movies and whatnot, but it'll be nice to get some, some R&R, I guess. You deserve it. You've been working so hard, and uh, <laughs> you're going to get a well-deserved break from the show and me. Uh, in a lot of ways. But yes, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. And don't forget to write into the show if you have an email for us. Our email address is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. 
You can support us directly as always by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. But don't worry if you don't have the means to donate, you can always help us out by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and uh, or just subscribe and go from there. That's all, all we ask is that you enjoy the show. All right, we've got some off topics to get to before we get into our featured review of Relic. Now, we're only doing one movie this week because we are recording this a lot earlier than we normally would. So normally we would have a few days and we'd be able to watch a bunch of different things. This week is kind of interesting because there's not a lot of stuff to watch, uh, not a lot of new releases. And we also have a big extra milestone coming up. So uh, working on that as well. So we're recording this a little early. Will's going to be leaving town, skipping town, if you will. <laughs> uh, so we decided let's just watch Relic and talk about that, give it a, a good in-depth discussion. And I think that's a good pick just because that will require maybe some spoiler talk. Uh, on the second half of that review maybe. maybe we'll see but we do have some off topics like i said first we have our latest extra milestone if you're new to the show extra milestone is our spin-off series where we celebrate a film anniversary and discuss uh, movies that have just hit a milestone anniversary essentially and sam nolan host of extra milestone brought on andrew mcmahon who is a really great film mind and the two of them talked about passenger came out in 1975 so okay doing the math that's uh, what 50 years or 45 years something like that um and then uh yeah 45 and then they also talked about peeping tom which is one of my favorite films uh, one of my favorite horror films from 1960 um one of my favorite horror films in general great discussion you can check out that extra milestone right now on the cinemaholics feed um are you a fan of either of these films will have you checked them both out I actually haven't seen either. I should uh, definitely see Peeping Tom. That's been on my list for a while. But um, yeah, I was a little surprised that this uh, of all the Jack Nicholson movies, uh, besides um, Easy Rider, uh, this would be, I guess, the first like official Jack Nicholson. Yeah, where he's the leading man, because we didn't talk about Chinatown last year. Yeah, or uh, Five Easy Pieces, right? Didn't that have an anniversary recently? Yeah. Yeah, we've had a few chances, um, but this was the week where we really went f- uh, full breath into, or read it, I wasn't on the show, but went fully into a, a, Jack, Nis- a Jack Nicholson feature, and uh, Passenger is a very interesting one. I haven't seen that film in a long time, so uh, I, I want to revisit it myself, and Peeping Tom I've seen a bunch of times, but I'm, I'm always down for a rewatch. Will, if you do get a chance to see Peeping Tom soon, uh, please let me know what you think, I'm very curious what you have to say about it. Uh, we do have a couple things to talk about besides Relic, uh, kind of in the mini review segment here. Um, first up, I want to talk about the new streaming service, Peacock. Peacock, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a new streaming service made by NBC, I guess NBC Universal, and it's their version of their HBO Max, where Warner Brothers is kind of creating this streaming service for their original content, but also their larger cat- uh, catalog and library of shows that you might recognize and lots of older movies, new movies, things like that. And so Peacock is interesting. It's coming right off the heels of HBO Max, which I've really been yeah. enjoying as a streaming service. As you all know, I think, well, have mm-hmm. you, you've had time to check out HBO Max by now, right? I have not gotten HBO Max, but uh, okay. I am currently watching uh, a film for Extra Milestone, if I'm allowed to give it away. But Yes. Uh, the movie for uh, this week or this. Uh, yeah, this week um, is available on Peacock. So I finally got it because they have a lot of movies available for free, which I didn't know yes. going into this, which is very exciting. They're uh, ad supported. So there's a free tier on Peacock, which is pretty unusual for streaming. It's kind of like having network TV essentially available on an app. And uh, we can give away that movie. It's All Quiet on the Western Front, which you just checked out. That's a great movie. I'm a little jealous. I won't be able to talk about that one with you all. But uh, I think that's going to be a great conversation. For me on Peacock, I've been watching a their new show, Brave New World. And so we had a fun conversation about this because Brave New World is based on a book from the 1930s. And I this is like one of my pop culture gaps or something because I literally reached out to Will and I was like, yeah, I'm watching Brave New World. It's like, it's really weird. It, it reminds me a lot of like uh, Westworld, but also Logan's Run. And and uh, you mentioned 1984. And uh, but then Will's like, yeah, it was it's from the book. It was from the 1930s. And apparently everybody knows what this is, except for me. I'd never read Brave New World. Um, I'd heard of it, but like I'd never really uh, looked into it or know much about it beyond uh, the title, honestly. So uh, this new show is uh, actually available on Peacock. The first two episodes are available for free. But if you want to watch um, the episodes after that, I've seen the first three episodes at this point, and there are nine episodes total, you have to go on their premium tier. They have a premium tier and they have premium plus. Um, premium just gives you access to everything. So you can watch 
all of the shows. You can watch all of the movies that they have available. Um, but if you do the free tier, you can watch a ton of stuff, but there are some shows that don't have all of the seasons. Uh, for example, Law & Order SVU, you'll only get like a few seasons uh, compared to getting every episode of that show. So that, that's the big difference. Um, I subscribe to Premium uh, Plus because it's ad-free. So I don't I don't want the ads. Get, I don't want the ads. Get rid of them. Um, so I, I'm, I'm on the, uh, the paid extra, which is uh, $10 a month. So it's cheaper than HBO Max for that reason. HBO Max is about $15 a month. Um, so basically, we're, we're at the point where we essentially have cable again. We're paying for these packages and everything, and it's, it's rounding up to be the same price as like the big cable packages where you get everything. However, I personally, I find the streaming service world to be much more uh, convenient uh, the on-demand nature of it and the content itself is a lot easier to keep track of. So I'm not like, I don't know, I'm not uh, that upset about it or anything like that. And I'm enjoying Brave New World. Brave New World is very uh, weird and uh, graphic <laughs> show here. Uh, I really like it. I really like that I was drawn in by Alden Einreich, who is the one of the main characters, but also Jessica Brown Finley, who we've seen in movies like, uh, oh gosh, um, Albatross, I want to say was what she was in, but she's pretty well known for Downton Abbey, I think. Um, but then also Harry Lloyd is in this, and he is just so charismatic. I think people would recognize him from as Viserys from Game of Thrones, but also episodes of uh, Doctor Who. He is just a presence here. Uh, it's a great cast, but then also Demi Moore, is in this and she absolutely is just force in this show. This is like a dystopian science fiction show and it's kind of like this futuristic society where um, there's no privacy anymore. People don't have families, but everybody's like kind of, uh, they all just sort of have sex with each other all the time. And the kind of the point of it is that you don't belong to anyone. There's no competition. There's no jealousy, no strife. It's kind of like the, you know, this is the future that liberals want meme brought to the, brought to the screen. And apparently that's... Uh, that's one way to describe it, I guess. <laughs> well, no, because it really is like it's rejecting yeah. a lot of conservative yeah. values, like the idea of individualism and the idea of... Um, you know, not being part of a collective, but then having certain rights and that are like very distinct from a world where everything belongs to everyone. So it's it's an interesting uh, exploration of that idea. This is not a clean cut commentary on either philosophy. It's not something that makes a villain out of either philosophy, but instead it sort of shows how the two philosophies are in constant battle with one another. And that's something that I like about the show. It's a little bit more thoughtful in that way. It's not trying to pick a side. It's not trying to uh, demonize um, any sort of um, belief system, but it's really just looking at what happens. It kind of reminds me of uh, the lobster in that way, where it just sort of shows you what it's like to be caught in the tension between two competing ideals that want the best for society, but are just oil and water when it comes to the people who ultimately come underneath it. So uh, I really like Brave New World. I think that it's uh, I think what I like about it is it's very strange. It's very weird. And I think I love that it's fully committed to its stuff. Um, and it's not uh, just a sort of a straightforward, polished network show or anything like that. Um, I think the gratuitous sex scenes are going to be a turnoff for a lot of people, similar to something like Westworld in terms of that. And also the violence in this can be pretty intense as well. Uh, this is a very mature adult show. But for what it's doing, I am very much invested and I'm really glad uh, that it came about. I, I really, this wasn't on my radar. I'd heard that Grant Morrison, um, who's one of the executive producers, had been working on this for some time. For those of you who don't know, he is a uh, mainstay with the DC Comics. Uh, he's worked on all kinds of really great storylines involving uh, Justice League, Batman, Doom Patrol, you name it. And he he really like brought this together with Brian Taylor, D David Weiner, a bunch of really fantastic, or sorry, Weiner. <laughs> excuse me uh he really brought this together with a lot of uh, really talented creatives and i think it it stands up it's it's pretty uh pretty interesting to watch and i'm curious to see how it all turns out so that's brave new world it's the only thing really i've been watching on peacock um that's it for me and so will you uh you watched uh, another movie though that another thing that wasn't really on my radar i'd kind of heard about this but i had heard negative things and yeah. so i'm curious uh what what is the sunlit night what is this new movie you checked out yeah, so this was a Sundance film that came out last year, I believe, in 2019. So I don't know if you had heard about it then or if it was uh, already kind of getting dismissed at that point. But I actually um, had 
sort of heard of it. Yes, because uh, this was the uh, Jenny Slate movie. And so she was there doing some press for it. So I kind of remember, but I'd never checked it out. And that's kind of when I heard sort of the negative stuff. Uh, or at best, I think I heard some mixed things. Yeah, I mean, no, I think the initial response of Sundance was pretty unanimously negative, which is a shame because when I'd heard it was coming out, I was excited because it was um, not only Jenny Slate, who I like a lot, um, but the director was, I'm going to probably butcher his name, but David Winnet, Winnet, W-N-E. I think you pronounce it David Went. Went, okay. I, I knew I was going to mispronounce it and I was just like, well. <laughs> I, I I'm probably mispronouncing it. it as well. Hopefully yeah. we got it right with that. But um, I believe, yeah, he's a Norwegian filmmaker. I knew him from a film he made a few years ago called Wetlands. I don't know if you saw that one. It was another. I saw the trailer and that was enough. Sure. <laughs> trailer really I remember. Yeah. I mean, I remember I saw it at my college film festival and it was one of those films that I don't think it's like an amazing film or that does. Um, well, I mean, it does some things that are pretty audacious and out there. But I mean, it's one of those films that I think you either really like it or you don't. Um, and I, I was more favorable as I went along with it. Uh, mainly just because of the main performance, but also because his style brought a lot of interesting visuals and just like things that like to this day, like I'll, I'll never forget uh, from a directorial standpoint. And I was like, OK, so like I'm not in love with this movie, but like clearly this guy has some like interesting concepts and like I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on what he's doing. And he did film after this, which I haven't seen called look who's back which is like some weird satire that imagines if like adolf hitler came back to life and i never saw that yeah, I haven't, it was like another yeah, one of those films where it's just like i was like okay well well that's a choice <laughs> that's a that's a follow-up for sure um and i was like okay so sunlit night maybe there's something here that's like kind of like going against what i am just seeing on the onset which seems to be you're kind of conventional like young woman trying to find herself sundance dramedy kind of thing like, you know, as Wetlands was going against the coming of age high school films of a, that was kind of satirizing and going against in a fairly explicit way. I was like, maybe there's something here that's not really apparent uh, on the onset. But the initial reviews seem to suggest that that wasn't the case. And then um, the film that came out now, I guess, is even less so because uh, when the film premiered at Sundance, I think it was a little under two hours. But I remember people were saying that, like, it felt very condensed. Like it felt like there were like large chunks of scenes that were taken out or that weren't there or like it just felt like it kind of got a messy edit at some point. And then uh, at this point, the film is 20 minutes shorter than it was at Sundance. So you're really getting like the bare bones of whatever this movie was initially. I didn't read the book from uh, Rebecca Dinerstein. Rebecca Dinerstein Knight. Yeah. yeah, that's from 2015, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it was a good book, but I didn't I don't know too much about it. But I mean, there was something here, yeah, I guess, good. certainly for. Oh, you read it? So I said I heard it's good. And, oh, okay. I, and I know uh, I think she worked on the screenplay. Yeah, yeah, she adapted as well. And um, yeah, just it, it, it's unfortunately just one of these films that it's about finding yourself, but it never finds itself in the process. Uh, and that's pretty nice. disappointing because um, I mean, you know, Norwegian's uh, vistas are always going to look nice in movies. And I like that this is a comedy that actually looks like a movie. Um, we've been seeing a lot of like streaming comedies lately that just kind of look like a uh, little bit more expensive TV products. Um, and I mean, you know, as someone, you know, who covers film for uh, different platforms that, you know, it's that's kind of discouraging for the medium. But, you know, I mean, cinematography wise, it looks nice. I, I, I think Jenny Slate does a good job. Like, I don't think any film, any of the film's faults are hers. Like, I think she commits this pretty well. And she has a lot of charisma and a lot of earnestness in this performance that's very apparent and very charming. I do think she's a little older than I think the character was written. Like it's kind of written to be someone who's maybe like 10 years younger than her, which I thought they might have addressed huh. at some point in the film, but they don't. I don't know. Maybe they did a different cut and it got taken out. But um, yeah, it, it just overall, it's it's a fairly middling effort for a lot of reasons. And I, I found that disappointing Uh Mainly because, like you said, like I said, I mean, I like the director. I like what he was going for with his previous film. Uh, I, I like that kind of audacious style that he brought. And I was hoping for something of that in here. And I just didn't really get that overall. And then there's also this weird like subplot uh, without giving too much away involving Zach Galifianakis and Gillian Anderson and like a, a Viking funeral that like kind of loosely ties to the plot. But it also kind of felt like maybe the director was like kind of getting more interested in that as he was making the film. And it kind of diverts away from Jenny Slate's whole arc, which is ultimately fairly conventional. It's presented here. 
So I don't know. I don't really know what happened in the edit for this film, <laughs> but um, I guess it just never really found its way, which is disappointing. But, you know, I didn't hate it. I, I think it's a little kinder on it than a lot of reviews were. I gave it a C plus. It's a messy film, but there's there is charm to it, mainly from Jenny Slate's performance. But uh, overall, I, I don't think it's really worth your time, which is a shame because I want to support Jenny Slate, whatever she's doing. But, you know, this one was a misfire and, and that's a shame. That is a shame to hear. I checked out the Rotten Tomatoes for this. Not a lot of reviews, just 36 counted. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a 24%. And a lot of rotten reviews that are more recent. So not just the Sundance response, but other critics, it looks like, have checked this out. There are some positive reviews, though. Um, that's 24% is not zero. So um, I, I just took a quick look. And, yeah, there are some interesting voices who uh, are saying the film is uh, closer to what you're saying, uh, like C plus, B minus territory. So that's a little encouraging. I'm kind of sad to hear that uh, a film kind of at this level is uh, with such a great creative team and such a great cast just didn't quite uh, reach the heights of its own promises. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of addresses something that I think gets a little a little lost when talking about Rotten Tomato scores that like I, I think something like this is just a film that a lot of people are just kind of middling on and that because it's just an overwhelming amount of like C's, it, it just is a lot of negative reviews. So it seems like right. worse for a Rotten Tomato score than it probably really is. Like, I think a lot of people would probably be like if they had a percentage, maybe like 45 percent or like 50 percent on it. But like the ref- the score is reflecting how many people actually like the film, which is, I guess, about 20 percent. So like that's uh, that's kind of one of the bigger issues with a uh, with Rotten Tomatoes as far as its formula. But yeah, I mean, I- that sounds about right from what I can tell from the film. All right. Well, that is the Sunlit Night. And if people want to check it out, uh, how is it available? It's currently on demand right now. OK, to uh, rent by. I believe to rent and buy. Okay. All right. Well, that is the Sunlight Night. It looks like it is a uh, uh, sort of available. Um, I'm interested if it'll come into a streaming service at some point. I might check it out. Uh, but let's move on to our featured review this week. We are talking about Relic. When was the last time you spoke to her? It's been a few weeks. Gran, Mom. She called me a few weeks ago. I think she was scared. She thought someone was coming into the house. Relic is a new horror drama uh, kind of coming in the vein of uh, Australian horror films like The Babadook, for example, um, but also kind of in the tradition of some recent uh, quote unquote elevated horror films you might recognize like Hereditary, a lot of similar DNA with both of those films. This is actually, this is kind of a fusion of those two films, in my opinion. This one was directed by Natalie Erica James, who I believe is a Japanese American director. This is her first film and the screenplay comes to us from Natalie, Natalie, uh, Erica James and Christian White. So yeah, this one stars Emily Mortimer, uh, who we, I think we, last time I think I saw her in a film was probably Mary Poppins returns, unless I'm forgetting something. No, that sounds about right. Yeah. Robin Nevin and Bella Heathcote. And I have to say, I am a little embarrassed because when I first saw the trailer for relic, I could have sworn this was Lucy Hale. <laughs> um, but no, it's Bella Heathcote. Uh, this is an Australian film with Australian actors. So uh, I believe they're all Australian. I could be wrong about that. This one has been making the rounds. It premiered worldwide at Sundance. I actually was supposed to see this and I couldn't get in. This is one of the ones I couldn't get into. Uh, so I was sad about that. Uh, this one and Possessor are the two horror films. I was very sad to not be able to catch. I think Possessor will be having a conversation about that film in the near future. And this was uh, subsequently released early July. It's been available the past few weeks via video on demand but also drive-in theaters as we've mentioned on the show uh it was distributed by ifc midnight and it's been available in australia for the last week and we chose this as our review because we didn't have time for it last week um, to include but i really wanted to make sure we did find some space for it uh don't worry our drunk episode is coming we are going to do a drunk episode at some point probably with money plane and selfie dad much to will ashton's chagrin but sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> but for now, let's talk about Relic. The, uh, the story of this one follows a multi-generational family in Australia, I think in like the rural area outside of Melbourne. And we find out that the the uh, grandmother, the uh, the matriarch of this family has been living alone in this house kind of out in the middle of nowhere for a long time. And she's been somewhat neglected by her daughter, Kay, who's played by Emily Mortimer. The grandmother, uh, like I said before, is played by Robin Nevin. And they haven't heard from the grandmother in a while. The neighbors have contacted Kay and said, look, the, the grandmother, we haven't seen her. She hasn't been on the property. Something might have happened. So the film starts off with Kay and her daughter, played by Bella Heathcote. I forget what her name is in the film. It might have been uh, Sam, I want to say. Um, and the grandmother's name is Edna. So Kay and Sam go to the house. They try to find her. And they immediately discover that something has taken hold of this house we see a mysterious black mold that has sort of infected the walls uh the movie actually starts off with a very chilling scene showing one of the reasons that might have happened is because uh, edna looks like she flooded the house and something very creepy apparently went on a very effective scene actually <laughs> and then the, the movie kind of goes from there eventually we do get a glimpse of what edna has been going through in this house but there's something gripping her and yes, this is a, a horror film that is a metaphor for something else. And it's a metaphor for dementia, very clearly. Uh, it's a metaphor for neglect and uh, how families turn their backs on each other and what happens when that is the case. And it's about uh, deteriorating minds and how that affects generation after generation. Will you be all right now? Mum? Mum, what is it? It's here. Under the bed. No, there's nothing under the bed, Mum. Are you sure? Yes. Will you check for me? Please. See? Nothing. You didn't look. You know, when I first saw Relic, Will, I was really confused about my feelings on it. I think I was looking at it sort of uh, simplistically, and I, I was having trouble wrapping my head around the final scene. And the final scene is its most intense uh, emotionally, and um, also it, in terms of just being pretty terrified uh, mentally with what the implications are of the film. And it really hit me, and this is a film I've, I've seen, uh, I saw yesterday, and it is it is one of those films that has really stuck with me. I was thinking about it a lot last night and uh, this morning as we were preparing the show. Uh, this one had an effect on me. Uh, but Will, what, what about you? What, what did you think of Relic? What are, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, well, I got to do one correction. Uh, Emily Mortimer is an English actress, not Australian. But um, okay, thank you yeah, for clearing that up. As, I, I, yeah. as soon as I said it, I was yeah. a little confused. I was like, wait, is Emily Mortimer Australian? She does a good accent, so. Yeah, you know, she does an impressive accent to be sure. But um, as far as the movie itself, yeah, I didn't know too much about it. But what I had seen and heard, I was like, okay, this clearly seems like up my alley. Um, you know, I like movies like this. I like kind of moody, intense dramas slash horror films uh, in this vein, uh, particularly Hereditary, which came out a couple years ago and was one of my favorites of that year. So it's like, okay, I'm on board with this. I'm I'm down. Um, and it's a film. It's weird because I'm like. I really appreciate what it's doing. And I, I don't know. I didn't really have any confusion, I guess, as far as like what it was going for. Like it, it basically went the way I thought it was going to go. Um, but I appreciate what it was going for. Like I like that concept. I think it's a uh, clever and very personal idea for a horror film. I thought the performances were very good. I thought 
Uh, it was well done and, you know, it had a proper amount of atmosphere and suspense throughout, but I never fully connected with it in a way that I wanted to. And I'm still trying to figure out what that is. I don't know if it's just because I've seen so many movies like this recently or if there's something here that wasn't quite, I don't know. Like I said, it's something here. It's like, I, I know, like, like on paper, this is exactly what I want. I can tell it's a good film. I can tell it's well made. I can tell that it's done well, but emotionally something is not clicking for me and I'm not quite sure what that is yet. That's interesting because I, I had a very different experience where I almost was sort of overwhelmed by how much this film was working for me, but not to the point where I, I'm like over the moon with this one. I think it's main flaw for me is that it's just a little bit too overt with what it's trying to say. I think that there are certain scenes and there are certain revelations you can come to on your own that are subtle, that are worth digging for and discussing with other people. But I just wish that our hands weren't held so much. Uh, this is like, you know, I mentioned the Babadook earlier. This is one of those films where the emotion of a yeah. character or the, the thing that they're dealing with is what manifests into the horror. And I really love reversals like that. I really like that you know, and we'll we'll probably talk about this more in spoilers, but I really like that this doesn't go down a conventional path of any sort of haunting. And that, that's really what deepens my appreciation for films like this is because when you look at it, it doesn't just feel like another horror film trying to be like, and you know, these characters are being haunted and are they going to get out of it? And that's the emotional core. And to me, that's very simplistic. That's very been there, done that. It, it's not the sort of horror that I'm currently into right now. I, you know, you mentioned there's some recent horrors maybe you've seen that resemble this. I think for sure that is the case, but compared to something like Hereditary, I would take this over that. And I think that's going to be a controversial opinion. I think a lot of people really love Hereditary. I was one of the ones who did not love it nearly as much as most critics, but Relic is one that just hit me in a better way. Uh, it, it's definitely one I appreciate in the same level of Babadook, which I'm a huge fan of. And uh, other films like It Follows, that it takes its horror tropes and it removes the explanations. It removes the exposition and the the mechanic of how are they going to get out of this and instead injects how are they going to deal with this emotionally? And I think that's the sort of horror that I respond to personally. But yeah, but are there other recent film horror films that we haven't mentioned that this one you, you had a hard time separating? Um, not horror movies per se, but the movie I was thinking of a lot was a more the 2012 film. Uh, which I guess is like terrifying in its own sort of way and like a kind of like slow, uh, you know, like realistic sort of way that 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 film came to mind for me a lot to the point where I kept thinking of like calling this horror or more <laughs> um, throughout. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the main two, yeah, were probably Babadook and um, Hereditary just because those are two recent films in a similar vein that both well with Babadook definitely using a very metaphoric or is that more metaphor allegory? I, I get those two mixed up, but um, I mean, both <laughs> kind yeah. of metaphorical allegory, that kind of thing. Sure. So we should say like what we mean by that is that it's it's not uh, th there's a deeper meaning behind it. It's taking like a single mental health issue and crafting the horror around it. So uh, in Babadook, that was mainly grief. And in this yeah. and a lot of horror movies have done that with grief. And that's something that really frustrates me. So the thing I like about Relic is that it's trying something different. It's not grief. It is like there's grief elements, but they're not the focus. The focus is uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. Um, how do you how do you deal with the person you love, your parent or your grandparent losing themselves and how scary that is and how they turn into somebody totally different? Uh, by the way, I should say uh, Jake Gyllenhaal produced this. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, and the Russos. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm very interested. I, I, is this a polarizing film? I know it's getting good reviews and I'm, I'm having trouble recommending it though. I don't know who to recommend Relic to and I, I do want to talk about it more in the, the spoiler section. But yeah, what, what do you have to add before we, we get our grades out on this one? Well, that's the thing is that like I think one thing to keep in mind if you're going to watch this film is that it is a horror film. Like I don't want to dismiss that it's not. But I think it's going to be perceived more as a drama for the first half sure. than some people are going to be anticipating. So I don't say that as like a criticism or a knock, but rather just like if people want to see this, just know like it's not like the second half of the film, I think, is more what I think people are going to anticipate going into this. So, yeah, kind of like hereditary, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I, I get what you're saying with that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this, this film's a lot intentionally kind of drier than hereditary. 
and it's going for something i mean because it's australian that sensibility applies like it's going for something that's a little bit more i guess reserved for the first half that i think some people are anticipating so i just say that as like just kind of a cautionary thing like its sensibility is very australian so that may go against what some people are anticipating if they if they hear about this film uh just from reviews and what we're saying but um Another film I guess that came to mind for me was Skeleton Key, which is not a film that <laughs> I think a lot of people talk about much or comment yeah, it's on. It's not a badge of honor <laughs> to throw on this. I like Skeleton Key, but um, I, I can see why that, that film doesn't get quite as much uh, notice or recognition nowadays. But uh, I do think this is kind of like an art house Skeleton Key in some ways. But um, other than that, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say too much more because like it kind of gets in the spoilery talk, but. I do like the film. Like, I, I think it works for what it's doing. I think a lot of people are going to be affected by it. But for reasons, I guess I'll specify more in spoilers. I, I guess I kind of ex- anticipated what was going to happen. And I don't know if that was just me, like, hearing a little bit too much about it beforehand or just kind of connecting the dots based on, like, how people were comparing the film and then where I just kind of anticipated the film. But I, I think that might be clouding me from fully loving it, is that, like, it, it kind of went down the route I was anticipating it was going to go. I guess I was waiting for something that was a little bit more like surprising or something that was going to take me off guard a little bit more. And that's not to, to say that the film does anything wrong. It's just that I think my expectations might have set me to fail in that regard. Sure. Yeah, I think that, yeah, expectations are big with this movie, which is why I hope we have done a decent job of setting them for the listeners who haven't seen this yet. Now, we are going to get into spoilers, but first our final grades. Yeah, I, I'm a little different. I think that even though I'm with you, this film did not shock me necessarily in terms of any revelations and like there was nothing that happened where i was like oh i didn't even i did not see that coming but it did shock me in terms of the visuals and how deftly it handles the metaphor i was really intrigued by all of the little symbolisms that there was in there which we'll talk about in a moment so yeah this has stuck with me so i was between a b and a b plus and i i gotta give this one the b plus i think that i have not wavered on my enthusiasm for this one uh since seeing it and I think the flaws I can definitely overlook. And I think, yeah, it's not for everyone. It's not a must watch for everyone. But for horror fans, I think it is something that you should definitely put on your list and see as soon as you can. I forgot to mention it's available right now um, via rental, um, just rental. Uh, I did mention it's VOD, but yeah, you can find it. I think the cheapest way to get it, it right now is on Amazon Prime Video. You can rent it there for 5 or $6 or something like that. And I recommend it. This is a solid rental. Now, Will, you did give me a little bit of trouble because I like to watch horror movies during the day sometimes, uh, sometimes <laughs> in the morning. And I know I understand like some weird, people, but yeah, I like it. Okay. We, that's, that's a question for another day. Uh, you know, we, we will have to uh, have a conversation about ho- when the, the ideal atmosphere of watching horror movies, I think watching a horror movie in the morning is great because then you get to think about it the whole day and you don't just sleep and then forget everything. So I'm just saying, but horror but yes. movies are <laughs> nightmares. So it's like waking up and then experience a nightmare. That doesn't make any sense. Which itself is a nightmare, Will. Isn't that more terrifying? I don't know. Um, I, I, I like yeah, having uh, daydream nightmares while I'm eating lunch. So, all right. Well, there you, go. you know what? Like I said to you privately, you, you have your own life. You live it. I'm not going to tell you how <laughs> you should live it. But I just think that's weird. Yeah. Personally. Any other listeners who, who appreciate watching horror movies during the day? Hit us up. Let us know in the comments. I mean, I've done it before. Like, I'm, 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 I'm being slightly hypocritical because I have done it. It's just that. Well, it sounds like you've done it not because you wanted to, not because you had a choice. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like if you watch a movie in the like a horror movie during like in theaters during the day, I think that makes sense because you're in like a dark environment and like that's fine. But like if sure. I'm at home, I'm, I'm almost always going to choose to watch them at night because I feel like that's the prime time to watch them. But that's me. I mean, now that you mentioned the, I remember the first horror film that I recall seeing during the day in a movie theater was The Ring uh, back in 2004, 2003, 2002, whenever that was. And uh, that was an experience uh, watching that movie and then walking outside to the blaring sun. So, yeah, that was my uh, experience with The Witch because I, I had a 10 a.m. Friday. Oh, screen. interesting. And I was like, you know, like that's a, I, I think I had the same thing with like comes at night, which is another kind of very night intensive film. And then just huh. going out and it's like, no, nah, I have the whole day waiting for me. <laughs> it's very <laughs> well, weird. Yeah. I will say that I'm not I'm not knocking watching horror films at night. I do it all the time. And then I've had great experiences watching them at night, including uh, Paranormal Activity, the first one. Like back before we knew anything about that movie, watching that at uh, that was a midnight screening. And it was literally just me and my partner at the time by ourselves in that movie theater. There was like two other people way in the back row. That was an experience seeing that and then walking out of the theater and not being able to sleep the entire night. But anyway. 
I, like I said before, I'm a B plus on Relic. Uh, what about you, Will? Um, I'm going to give it two grades, I guess, because I think quality wise, it's closer to a B. Like, I don't want to dismiss the film because of my expectations. Like, I think I think what it does, it does well. I think the performances are good. I think there's a lot of cool, eerie imagery in this. And like I said, it's a fairly personal film that I think it does what it sets out to do. And I think the ending is effective. So I'm not going to knock the film too much. I think it, it sets out what it achieves or achieves what it sets out to do. But um, I think emotionally, like where I am right now is closer to a B minus. Like that's I think the grading I'd give, like based on my experience watching it. But I don't think that's f- fully fair to the film right now. So I think quality wise is closer to a B. All right. B plus for me, B minus for Will. We're going to start our spoiler discussion and uh, we'll close the show after that. So you won't miss anything else. Uh, Just we'll talk about uh, maybe quickly what we're planning on seeing and discussing for the next episode. Although Will won't be here for the next episode. So maybe we won't do that. Uh, But anyway, I don't know. I might be around. But yeah, I, I can't guarantee it. So we'll see. From this point on, we will be discussing spoilers and the ending and just kind of our deeper thoughts on the movie, things that would give give it away and and soil your experience watching it for the first time. So if you have not seen Relic, uh, please use this opportunity to exit the show. This is your last warning. All right. So Relic, let's talk about this movie in a bit more detail. Uh, something that I wanted to bring up in more detail, but I didn't be I didn't want to say too much about it was the black mold. Uh, the black mold I thought was a fascinating motif to use in this. Um, specifically, the way the black mold sort of explains uh, the infection of dementia, how it passes between people. It's a very toxic substance. It's something that causes people to hallucinate. So there's this hanging question in the film of like, are they seeing what they're really seeing? At this point in the movie, all three characters have really been surrounded by this black mold for so long that it's possible to explain some of the crazier things that happen to, well, the black mold is making them hallucinate. There are some clues here and there that that is the case. Um, There's a kind of a labyrinth appeal to this haunted house that I found really just gripping whenever you would see the black mold in certain places and how it manifests itself. There are other secrets we could talk about, but yeah, this is something that I think really brings the film together. I think without it, it feels a little bit, I don't know, bare uh, by comparison, but uh, that's my first thought. Uh, Was there anything, anything you were kind of like really chomping at the bit to talk about? Uh, Not especially. I mean, I imagine we're going to talk about the last image, uh, but yeah. I mean, that's kind of like at the, the core of it. So I don't know if there's too much more I can add right now. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about that. I, yeah, specifically, I remember when I was watching the movie, I messaged you about how there is a visual in this movie that cannot shake from my mind. And that is the point where Edna is in the bathtub and she is starting to peel off her own candle wax skin. And it's such yeah, a the candle thing. They horrifying. They yeah, they, they drive that into the ground. <laughs> it is pretty grotesque. Uh, but what I like about it is that it it symbolizes the rot of time and yeah. how no, it, I get. It. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and even just sort of like when um, that visual of uh, Kay peeling the skin off of the grandmother, the, her old self, you know, she's a shell of her old self. I mean, it's stuff like that that I think just really picks this movie up and, and really makes it something special, I think, because it's just so smart and so layered in that way. And it, it just drives its message home. I think I still maintain my criticism that its message almost gets overexplained at times. I think that they really laid on thick with like the grandfather, for example, but it's still emotionally effective because the point is don't turn your back on these people just because of what they're going through and using the grandfather rotting in the cabin as just a great reminder of that. I I think this movie has such a good message behind it that I I'm able to overlook some of its more heavy handed storytelling. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess it gets to where I was feeling yesterday, which is that, I think this would have been more effective if it was like a 45 minute short film. And I guess, well, I mean, I don't know if a 45 minute short film is like oxymoron because I guess that, that technically counts as a feature film, but I mean, it's still only 90 minutes. That's a thing though, but it still feels like kind of long to me. Like it just feels like, like you said, like after a point, I'm like, okay, I get it. And it's a, it's like so well done. And so I'm like going, going with it, but it's like, I get it at this point. Like I kind of get what it's saying. And I feel like, like you said, it's an important message. I think it's a smart idea. And like I said before, it's a clever concept and it's a personal one. So I think like it, it has merit and I don't want to like poo poo it too much, but it just feels like, I don't know, like I feel like even at 90 minutes, we're, it, it kind of indulges itself almost like it just feels like we're kind of already 
it's it's like spinning its wheels a little bit towards like the like the middle point of the film. Getting well, to I do ending. think though that there's a. But I get the idea that. that like you have to like. Like I, I get, like I know, I'm like I'm back and forth in this, but I get that like you have to show that process of time to really get into the character's mindset. So I get where. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm you have to. Yeah, you you have to allow it. You have to allow it to be a tough choice for the family to stay, because if the film just sort of shortcuts to the ending, then you don't feel like you've really earned the point where, despite everything that's happened. Kay looks back at her mother who is ailing on the ground and still goes back to her. I like how it's a reversal or a subversion of sometimes when we shout at horror films and we're like, get out of there, go call the police or do this, do that. But really the movie is not invested in that. It doesn't really, it's not really asking the question of, are they going to survive? The question is, are they going to take care of this person they claim to love? And sort of like recognizing that this is a, a human experience, an unfortunate and a tragic human experience that a, in this family particularly, it can be genetic and it can pass on person to person. And we see in that moment where Kay, it looks like has been infected by this mold and what happened to her mother is going to happen to her. And then the process, the cycle is going to continue on to Sam's character. And it's, it's that sort of thing that I just think that I don't know. It, it resonates for that reason. And I think you need that middle section of them just really being thrown through the ringer of like this person is, you know, the, the heartbreak of what's happening to her is just so uh, apparent um, to the point where we even have a scene where she's lucid for a moment and that just drives it home even more. So I, I do think you need that process. You need that progress. In fact, to get to that point the, where I do follow your criticism is the red herrings. I think that they throw things in this film to sort of lead you off track a bit. And I think that's, that's, I think where your criticism makes sense to me a lot, uh, especially with a certain character who gets brought up. Um, James, yeah. I think his name is. Yeah. 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 Or Jamie. Yeah. I think the red herrings are that, Oh, you're, they're kind of setting it up that Jamie is a, a cause or some sort of like um, ancillary figure in this like maybe he's the one in the walls or something like that um and, and i think it's stuff like that is just a little bit confusing and not that relevant to the main story um not that the character is irrelevant because i think they do utilize uh, a story involving him being trapped in the cupboard to really great effect i mean i think that it, it really just drives home um how difficult it is to exist um with edna in this current state because of the horror of what happens to jamie but then they sort of like drop that thread a little bit. And I don't know, there, there was something about that. I think that was a little bit lacking. So I, I do understand if you maybe have some criticism in that realm. I guess I just, I guess for me though, it's just like, I see the poster, like before I start the film, I see the poster and like, and say, I'm like, okay, I think I know where this is going to go. It's like a moldy picture, uh, like a family photo and it's moldy and it's like disintegrating. And it's like, okay, so we're going to see like the ancestral, like decline of this family from the, perspective of dementia once that and it's just like i guess that's where i come in is just like i don't know maybe that's just my expectations expecting like some like huge revelation with the ending where it's just like whoa like is this going to go in like another tier that like i wasn't anticipating or something like that and just like okay no it's just fairly like in that regard just kind of simplistic and, and focused which i admire like i said like i think above all else i admire the film because i understand what it's doing i recognize it and i appreciate it I just, like you said, like, I don't really know who I can really recommend it to because I feel like most of the people who would have lived this experience would kind of know that already and recognize it. And it's just like such a like debilitating thing to watch and experience. And that, I mean, I love maybe that loves the right word, but I, I really appreciate a lot of movies that are just about like grueling, intense, sad things. And like, I'm, I'm not against movies being focus on that but i don't know like i said there's just something here that just like not fully clicking with me in a way that i was hoping it would and it's like i mean not to get into like my personal life but like, i have like experienced something like this with like my own grandfather and like watching my dad like kind of deal with that and it's like i felt like that would maybe hit even harder as well but it's like again like i don't know i just feel like it didn't really say something that like i was anticipating it would go deeper like say something a little bit more like profound i guess but like i said it's, it does what it does well and i don't think it needs to be super complex either so i i'm tying myself into a knot i just i have a lot of different opinions i guess I've, i'm i'm mixed overall that, that's interesting because yeah I, you would think it would be the other way around on this opinion and because me personally i don't really recognize this situation um 
neither of my grandparents that are still alive, they, they aren't going through any sort of dementia, but you know, I, I come from a Puerto Rican family. Um, we're all Puerto Rican and it's just a different culture compared to what we see in this Australian family. Like the idea of like my grandmother would never live alone. Like my grandmother, both of my grandmothers live with our family. Like they, that is just part of our culture. Not, not every household, obviously, but not every Latinx culture, uh, is built up this way. But my experience has always been that like, yeah, you take care of your grandparents no matter what they're going through. Um, in particular, I have one grandparent who is a handful and, you know, and it, it's, it's sad what uh, he's going through right now, but he lives with our family. Like that's just, you know, it, it's just something that this is a little bit foreign to me. So I'm, I mean, I'm curious like why it resonated with me a little bit more than it might with some other people who might be, who might find themselves uh, more, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe because there, there is this experience that you have an understanding of, it just felt like, yeah, I know already, or, you know, like maybe it just felt like it was a little bit more, uh, revelatory to me for that reason, uh, I suppose is, could be the case. And, and also, you know, I was thinking about this, that I, I think what might be hitting some people watching is that th- there's this sort of term that goes around that is often derided, uh, when people call films like this elevated horror, you know, I kind of mimic, you know, kind of quoted that earlier, sort of like, yeah, you know, and I think the reason some people get a little bit of slack for that is because it sort of implies that other horror isn't good. And that's why I think that a more useful term is to call horror, maybe like cerebral horror, which I don't think is denigrating horror that isn't as cerebral. A lot of horror films aren't trying to make you think necessarily. They're just sort of trying to make you feel something. Um, and that that's their main thing. And it might be, they want to make you feel happiness or joy or just straight up terror, which is super valid. Um, but when people talk about like elevated horror, they're saying, yeah, there's this new type of not new, but like there's this, uh, newly, um, faddish, um, horror film that is sort of built up to make you think and to be about a lot of different things and have a lot of subtext. And I think that that is okay to categorize. Um, I don't know if you agree, but I think what might be rubbing people the wrong way with Relic is that it builds itself as a as a cerebral horror. It looks and feels and is trying to do that sort of thing. But if it doesn't surprise you intellectually, if it doesn't have, if it doesn't get your gears going and really make you think, then it's like, yeah, I, I kind of get your criticism. It's kind of like the criticism I had with It Comes at Night, where I feel like it's trying to build itself a certain way and then it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill its own promises. So I, I can sort of see where you're sure. going from on that angle, perhaps if that's, if that's at all close to what you're experiencing here. I don't know. It's just like, cause when I, when we do reviews, like I try to go one of two ways. Like I either have my thoughts fairly cohesive and I'm just telling like listeners how I feel, or I'm like, kind of like doing like a workshop where I'm like, I'm talking with you and just trying to figure things out. And I'm closer to the latter than the former. Cause like, I mean, we've seen this relatively around the same time, but a little bit newer for me just because I saw it late last night. So it's like I'm still processing how I feel about it. And it's like I'm still kind of working my way around it. I could see myself being more or less favorable on it as time goes along. But I, I recognize what you get, you're get you getting out of this film. Like I recognize what people are appreciating about the film. And I'm not trying to take that away from anybody. I can see why this is a very effective haunting film. And I do think the ending really drives that home. But I don't know. Like I said, there's just something crucial here that's just like missing I don't know if it's just because I've seen so many movies like this before or if it's like the style is so evocative of other movies that it just doesn't feel fully like its own thing or what but yeah I mean I definitely appreciate the film I think it's good for what it's trying to set out to do but I just don't I just don't have that I guess that emotional connection that you and a lot of other viewers are getting right now and that's just more my fault I guess because I just can't really connect no, in no. that way but no, I think what you feel is what you feel, and it's valid. I, these are my favorite discussions we have on Cinemaholics because I always appreciate when one of us is just pretty honest about our mixed feelings and not just jumping on a bandwagon and not just assuming our opinion isn't valid just because it it kind of conflicts with the other person. So um, I, I do think it, I'm fascinated by your experience with this film, and it's making me almost appreciate the film a little bit more because I'm sort of searching for the things, the reasons that it did hit me a certain way. So um, I appreciate this film a lot more than a lot of other films that maybe I've I've said that I've really liked, but then I did it. It's felt like I like it and that's it, you know, end of discussion. Whereas this one actually warrant some discussion on like what is the current state of the horror film genre and what kind of horror films are people people making i could see people criticizing this film being like yeah this just sort of feels like a sequel to jennifer kent's babadook without kind of doing its own thing and you know like look at jennifer kent like she took babadook and made something like the nightingale which i think is a terrific film but a very different film 
And that felt like a creative progression yeah. for her. And mm -hmm. to some people, Relic might not feel like progression. It might feel like regression into a type of film that's already been done. And even though I disagree yeah. with that overall irony, assessment, I, guess, I definitely can see it. Say again? Yeah. I said that's a little bit of cruel irony, I suppose. But um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, true. Dang. Uh, I wasn't trying to make a joke. <laughs> I mean, I was just, yeah, I was yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just recognizing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I mean, on paper, like I said, this is everything I want in like a horror movie. And like, if you described it to me just as what it is, I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, hell yeah. Even especially because I love Emily Mortimer. I haven't even really talked about like, I think she's a terrific actress. and I don't think she's really gotten her full due either, which is, I think is a real shame. But um, yeah, I mean, everything about this, I, I appreciate I, I can vibe what's going with on paper. And I, I think it's done well. So it's not like I'm faulting the execution at all. I just don't think there's just something crucial here right now for me. That's just not like it's not quite latching on to me in a way that it has for you and a lot of people, like I said. But I don't know. Maybe this is one of those films that like a week or two from now, I'm like, what was I thinking? This is amazing. Or like, you know, like it, it just something happens and it finally just like latches on. And I'm like, OK, now I can fully appreciate this film. That's happened before. And this might be the case here as well. But at this point in the gesture, I'm, I'm still kind of somewhere in between. But I do like it more than I don't overall. So to be clear, I think it's a good film. I think it's worth seeking out. I just haven't had the same appreciation that you and a lot of other people have right now. Uh, I have to echo what you said about Emily Mortimer. Um, there's a bunch of films that she's done recently that I just have not had a chance to see. We mentioned Mary Poppins Returns, but you know, I always wanted to check out Good Posture, that movie that she did with uh, Grace Van Patten. And I think she did a film uh, with Greg Kinnear at one point. And yeah, yeah there's a bunch of 2019 films that she's done that I I haven't had a chance to see. I think she did. The, oh, she did one with uh, Gary Oldman, too. Huh. Another horror. So uh, yeah, she's she's fantastic. And uh, if there's a weak link in this film, I, I, I got to say, you know, not to not to throw daggers, but Bella Heathcote, I thought uh, wasn't quite as impressive to me. I, I don't think she was as um, engaging or had as much uh, really electric energy compared to Mortimer. And I think the real star of this film, Robin Nevin, I think that they're working yeah. on a totally different level. I think Heathcote, she's great. I, I think that she's a really great actress in this particular movie. I wasn't quite as taken with her. Um, I really liked her in like the man in the high castle, for example, it's probably my favorite thing I've seen. her. Okay. I mostly know her from neon demon. Yes. Uh, neon demon. Yeah. She was a, uh, Whew, transcendent. <laughs> I sure. really liked her in that, and uh, I, I never saw her in. Uh, she was in. She was in Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. I never. I still haven't had a oh, chance yeah, to see yeah, that yeah. one, so I don't know how she is in that. Yeah, that was that um, was pretty good. She's good in that. Yeah, I know she has uh, her own TV show coming out uh, where she's the oh, yeah. the lead character. Yeah, have you heard it? It's called. Uh, I think it's called Pieces of Her. Um, that's uh, it's an American uh, show, so I know she's Australian, but yeah, um, yeah that it's sounds a like Netflix. some like ABC show. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> no, it's Netflix. It's like a thriller, um, as far yeah. as I know. All right. Well, hope for the best. I mean, I think. Well, I got to say real quick. Tony Collette is the other main role, so that's why. That's how I think I heard of it. Is like the connection between this and her oh. is kind of funny, considering she and Tony oh, Collette yeah. are the main <laughs> characters in a Netflix show next year. So yeah, that that is odd. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely thought Emily Mortimer and then Robin. What's uh, her last name? I didn't catch it, but Nevin. Robin Nevin. Nevin. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they were both terrific in this. I thought they both did a really good job. I mean, I think Bella, just because you have to compete with those two, it's hard to do that. I mean, I couldn't. Exactly. Yeah, I don't blame her. But um, <laughs> yeah. but um, I thought she did a good job. I mean, there's like a sense of naivety and like kind of like innocence that's supposed to be portrayed in that performance. that I think it comes through. So, yeah, she does get one of the best lines where she literally just looks into a hallway and is like, F this. <laughs> it's perfect mm -hmm. delivery. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I have no real point criticisms about the film. I think it's effective for what it does. Like, I can see why it's going to work for a lot of people. And I, I worked for me more than it didn't. But yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of uh, mixed on it overall. All right. Well, that is our review of Relic. Um, definitely a film that I think is worth talking about. Um, maybe, Will, you enjoy talking about this film more than uh, watching it. I'm not sure. But I, I personally maybe. enjoy talking about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my main thing I remember thinking after film was like, I definitely appreciate this more than I enjoyed watching it, which partly is because it's such like a like grueling film by design. But um, yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said for there for sure. All right. Well, that we are going to finish up this show now. Uh, I I don't know what's coming out next week, Will. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're going to be here to talk about any of the next new films. Um, I do know that I want to, you know, we, we sadly um learned the news very recently that john lewis passed away yeah i was gonna mention and so that yeah. I really mm -hmm. yeah i really want us to find a time to talk about uh his documentary right um, i was john gonna lewis watch it trouble 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean yeah. that was definitely one I was going to watch if it were if we weren't constricted for time this week, that would have been one mm-hmm. for sure. I would have checked out, but uh, I plan to check that out sometime in the next week. Now, there's a new Netflix film that we didn't talk about that came out over the weekend called Fatal Affairs. So that might be looped into next oh, week. I heard we'll that's see what happens. Bad. <laughs> I did too, which is why I yeah. kind of want to talk about it. Um, sure. Uh, there's also Cutthroat City, yeah. which we didn't mm-hmm. talk about. And um, yeah. next week, I think the big one is The Kissing Booth 2, <laughs> right? which uh, I, I didn't see the first one. So mm-hmm. I don't know about that. It, and then isn't there an, like a Dave Franco directed yes. horror movie coming out? The Rental. The Rental, which is directed by Dave Franco, was screenplay from Joe Swanberg. So I'm really curious about it. Allison Brie is in it because... She and Go Dave figure. Franco are married, so they're yeah. they're great collaborators. Uh, but also Dan Stevens. Uh, that's that's a big reason why I really want to see this is mm. that cast. Uh, this is an another IFC film like Relics. So I don't know too much about it beyond all of that. But yeah, you know me. I I love a Joe Swanberg. Uh, I love his brand of mumblecore. So I am uh, very curious to see how his screenplay works under Franco's direction um i think that could be really interesting but yeah that comes out on the 24th uh, other than that though yeah there might be a few other things coming out that are not on my radar is there anything we missed um that's a, those are the two main ones i know about off the top of my head um there might be some other ones that i'm forgetting but uh oh there is there's um what's what's your face roseman pike has a new film hitting amazon prime called radioactive from the director of persopolis and uh the voice is yes. the ryan reynolds movie yeah i i don't know if the release date is uh the 24th but yeah that's supposed to be out by then so, so yeah i mean those yeah, are the ones that option. i know about mm-hmm. well we will figure out what to do um hopefully you'll be on the show well but if not uh have a good time have have fun oh, thanks, uh, getting out into nature and uh yeah <laughs> i i'm looking forward to uh you coming back uh a new man um, yeah it's, it's gonna be even weird. thicker yeah. beard oh yeah <laughs> well uh, we'll see yeah all right, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, you can find all of our social pages, our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram in the show notes. Um, you can check that out now. Um, and also, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you like us. And as always, if you want to find more episodes of the show, cinemaholics.com has our full archive. Uh, so definitely check that out as well. All right, from the internet, California, I am John Negroni. And from the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time. <laughs>